So, today's title is True Believer or False Believer. Okay? And our message is taken from Acts chapter 4, from verse 32 to chapter 5, verse 11. Okay, if you do have your Bibles or your gadgets, if not, the scriptures will be on the screen. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them. In them all, that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold the field he owned and brought the money and put it to the apostles' feet. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife, Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. <clears throat> and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young man came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Wow. How do we make up this passage? It's intense, isn't it? All I did was to sell my land and give a bit of money to the church and now I'm dead. What is going on here? What do we get from Acts 4? True believers or false believers? It's interesting. It begins 
with three statements made. True believers. He says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possession was their own. That's the first statement. They shared everything. So here we see the true believers. And the first thing we see is um, they were one in heart and mind. What get people to give all their half to others? And we think, we come here and we think, oh, this is what is expected of every person in the church. But there are certain things we need to learn. He said, um, we are told they shared everything they had. How do we explain that? What was sharing? The key is all the believers were one in heart and mind. There was this overwhelming sense of spiritual unity that affected their attitude towards their possessions. There was a unity in mind and heart. And I think when the church loses that mission, a sense of mission together, a sense of family together, we cannot live as we read here. It was not compulsory. They were never forced. It wasn't like this is conditions for salvation. It wasn't a condition for salvation. But once they were saved, there was something. Ephesians 4 said, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. There was oneness. There was a unity. There was a body of doctrine that they all held on to. Verse 13 says, until we all reach unity in the faith, there was a unity that was required in the body of Christ. Amen. And these believers had it. They were one in heart and mind. 1 Corinthians 1.10. Of course, we know the context. Some say, I follow Apollo. Some say, I follow Paul. Some say, I follow Cephas. And Paul said, no, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say. That you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Wow. Now, that's a challenging thing. Yeah. Yeah. We are all here claiming to be Christians can we come to unity of mind and thought? Certainly, on biblical grounds, we should be able to come to unity on every scripture. We may not get there yet. There's no one verse in scripture that will have two interpretations. And if I have one interpretation and Martin has one interpretation, one of us is wrong. Or both of us are wrong. But there will be truth, unity in the scripture. So as Christians, we fight for that unity because God has put it in there. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for restoration. The other versions say aim for perfection. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. That unity of mind is important. There was a shared conviction. There was a shared vision. They spent time together. 
they prayed together. They were vulnerable with each other. How can you do the needs of somebody unless they express those needs? How can you know the need unless you listen? There was listening. There was encouragement. There was forgiveness. There was trust. Their sharing was spontaneous. There was no compulsion. What was theirs was not restricted to their private or personal use. It was nowhere said. It was never necessary or requisite for a condition for being saved or for being accepted as a genuine Christian. It was a natural voluntary action that they made. And when the church loses its sense of mission and sense of family, the selfish attitude towards possession creeps in. And I tell you, we have the scriptures and we can always go back and say, how are we doing? I love the book of Acts. It challenges me to the core. I look at this and I'm thinking, wow. How is my life? Giving to others. Voluntarily. No compulsion. There was a time where people felt compelled to give contribution to the church. It was never the case. If people use Ananias and Sapphira to manipulate you to give, that was wrong. <laughs> there was no compulsion to give. But they gave because what? They were one in mind. There was a unity of conviction, shared vision. They knew what they were called to do. And they were willing to go anywhere, do anything for the Lord. Amen? Amen. Therefore, they did not hold on to possessions. They did not hold on to possessions. That was the first statement we read. The second one said, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons amongst them. For from time to time, those who own land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Wow. Again, their attitude was affected by what? The great power of the apostles' preaching. Their attitude was affected by God's word. Not human manipulation. By God's word. We cannot be generous unless we are deft in scriptures to know what God's heart is. For God so loved the world that what did he do? He gave. That's what God does. He gives. And unless that is our heart, our giving will be false. It will be compulsory. Paul said to the church in Corinth, do not give under compulsion or reluctantly because God loves a cheerful giver. God wants us to give because we understand his word. The next thing we see was, he said, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them. Wow, people who understand the grace of God doesn't hold on to anything. God's grace was so powerfully at work within them. No needy person was among them. There was contentment. There was contentment. From time to time, when special needs arose, those able to give did so. 
according to their means. Why did they put the money at the apostles' feet? Why didn't they sell the stuff and go to the poor in the congregation and give to them? They could have done that. They didn't want the poor giving their loyalty to human beings. It's so easy. If I had money and I always gave money to one of the congregation, guess what? They will always look at me. And they will not look at God as a provider. So in Corinth, it said, some say I follow Apollo, some say I follow Cephas, some say I follow Paul. And Paul said, no, 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 we should all look to Christ. Amen? Amen. Why did they put the money at the apostles' feet? They were not just making charity donation. They were giving to the Lord. Amen? Amen yes. They were expressing his sovereign rights over all their possessions. The apostles represented Jesus. They said, we're giving this to Jesus and not to men. Jesus was not just their teacher, but their redeemer. The one who bought them at a price. Who owns everything. And that was important. That they gave with a view of this is to God. And not to men. Sometimes we give contribution and we think, oh, it goes to the minister of the church or it goes to this person. No, it goes to God. Seriously. We are giving to God. We are laying at the feet of Christ when we give so that we may not rely on men imagine if I'm here thinking oh I'm the minister and I'm dependent on the congregation that would be tragic because I won't tell you the truth anymore I will tell you what your itching ears wants to hear but I'm not here to tell you what your itching ears want to hear I'll never do that. (laughs) Paul says, if I hear to please men, then I have ceased to follow Christ. Galatians 1.10 So, we don't depend on men. We depend on Christ. And if I'm not in the ministry, I'll go back to accountants. (laughs) Or I'll do whatever job God gives me. But calling to the ministry, which was never my intention, that's why I'm always humble when I stand here. I was never. I never prayed once that God let me be in the full-time ministry. In fact, when I was asked, and I've told you this, I said no. For a whole year, I said no. And God God convicted me that my heart was corrupt. Because I have become like those things. Material possession had captured my heart. I was earning a lot of money. I could go on holiday when I wanted to. And material possession had crept in. And I had to give it up. Like when I said, made my good confession, I was, I was willing to go anywhere for the Lord. But I tell you, there came a time where, indeed, when I was asked to go to Leicester, I said, why Leicester? <laughs> why Birmingham? <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, why? So we just need to be careful that we are not depending on people. All we do is for God. All we do will be for God. And when we give, we give to the Lord. And when we give, it's never under compulsion. There was no compulsion on these people. They understood the grace of God. They were affected by the great power of the preaching of the apostles. 
and they gave. Amen. Amen. The third statement was about Joseph, the Levite. Said Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means sons of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. And uh, that is interesting because um, Joseph, a Levite, what do we know about Levites? They are the priests. Joseph was a Levite. But they said he's from Cyprus. Who tells us that he never exercised his sacred office as a Levite in Jerusalem? He never exercised his sacred office. And what would that sacred office be? He said, but to the tribe of Levi, Moses had given no inheritance. The Lord, the God of Israel, is their inheritance. So, Joseph, she didn't have had any inheritance. But he never had a chance to exercise his sacred office. He lived in Cyprus. And now he's become a disciple. Actually, he now fulfills the spirit of his calling. And so, he gives inheritance to the Lord because according to Joshua, his inheritance is in the Lord. Amen. In his giving, Joseph or Barnabas, as we know, is saying, I need no inheritance. The Lord, the God of Israel, is my inheritance. As he had promised me all along. Guys, how does the Bible describe disciples in the book of Peter? The royal what? The royal priesthood. We are the Levites. We are the priests. Our inheritance comes from the Lord. The spirit of Christian giving. We give because the Lord is our inheritance. We offer what we've been given. We are the priests. Let's contrast Joseph or Barabbas to Judas who occupied the sacred office of an apostle and yet abandoned it and bought a field with the proceeds of his treachery. In Acts 1, he said, In those days Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas did what? He bought a field. Joseph was selling his field. Judas bought a field. Are you Joseph or Judas in your heart when it comes to giving to the Lord? He bought a field. There he fell headlong. His body burst open. And all his intestines filled out. Wow, that's a gory film to watch. <laughs> Sometimes the Bible put things something. Why was that there anyway? <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to go into the exegesis of all this. <laughs> yeah. But imagine that. But the point is, that was Judas's heart compared to Joseph's heart. And we are all priests. Where is our heart when it comes to giving to the Lord? 
and to each other by the way. Barnabas in the New Testament, therefore, is mentioned 33 times. He's mentioned 28 times in the book of Acts. In 1 Corinthians, Galatians, three times, Colossians. But that was the example we see contrast between Judas. Obviously, somebody had not paid attention to what happened to Judas, which brings us to Ananias and Sapphira, the false believers. Point number two, the false believers. Are you with me so far? Yeah. This script has convicts me. <laughs> it's just the book of Acts is um is deep. But yeah. It is the only book where you see conversions, by the way. It's funny, I was having a conversation with a church minister, and we're talking about conversion. And um, all the scriptures he was bringing was in the epistles. Or in the Gospels. And I said, do you realize the Gospels, even though it's a Gospel, doesn't actually tell us the Gospel. The Gospel never tells us about the Christian conversion. And all the letters, Romans, Revelation, doesn't tell about Christian conversion. The only place you see Christian conversion is the book of Acts. Yeah, that's right. He said, what? I said, for example, let's take faith. In the gospel, what was their faith in? Their faith was in the miracles of Jesus. They had not seen the resurrection. Wow. Our faith is greater than what they saw in the gospels. We, confer- we, we, we believe in the resurrection of Christ. We believe he's coming back. They believe just in the miracles. We, we believe in the miracles. John tells us to do that. But we also believe in the resurrection. We've we've seen it. Or believe in it. So it's only in the book of Acts that true conversion occurs. Why did I go to that point? I got distracted. (laughs) False believers. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. Just as Joseph sold a piece of property. With his wise full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Okay. And um, then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? And have kept for yourself some of the money you received from the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. And an hour fell down and died. The wives comes in and they said, oh, by the way, this tell me, is this the price you and your honor? You and Ananias got for the land. Mm-hmm. Yes, she said, that is the price. Mm-hmm. Wow. And then she dies. That's intense, isn't it? Mm-hmm. The second point, true believer, there is something going on here. Of course, in Acts chapter 4, the church was facing attack. It was persecution. 
this time the attack the church is going to face is coming from inside. The attack on the church now is not coming from outside, but it's coming from inside. In the first, the opposition was described as coming from the rulers and the kings of the earth, raging against God. How do the nations range against and the kings? That's what the disciples said. In this passage, it is coming from directly from Satan. Because it's at Ananias. How come Satan has so filled your heart? So do Ananias and Sapphira have sin? Guess who was in the background? Satan trying to destroy the church. Satan trying to destroy the church. That is what was going on. Then the third thing we realized in the previous one, the authorities were against. The authorities, the rulers and the kings were against the disciples to the point where the Christians said, well, where there is conflict, we need to obey God rather than man. Here, the authority is God's government in the church. Wow. When Satan comes in, God will step in and protect the church. We call it church discipline. This is the first church discipline we see. Now, imagine if church discipline before died now. It will be serious. But not only that, there was a church discipline going on. Where there was sin, which would destroy the church, the Holy Spirit would get rid of it. So bear that in mind. And that's why I said, most communion comes in. Because sometimes we hide that stain. We hide the stain. And the Holy Spirit will expose it. Be thankful when it is exposed, because then you can be healed. If it's not exposed, you die spiritual death. But a few things we observe about Ananias and Sapphira. First, they were not obliged to sell their field and give the money to the church. They were under no compulsion. Peter said, verse 4, he said, Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? Conversion to Christ does not abolish the right of private poverty. It belonged to you. Secondly, after it was sold, the money was still at your disposal. Verse 4 repeats that. And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? You see, God puts our possessions in our stewardship. He gives us the authority to decide under his guidance how we shall use it. What and how much I shall spend on myself, my family, the church, the mission, charity, whatever. God entrusts me with that decision. But hopefully, I do with him in mind. So what did they do wrong? What was the sin of Ananias and Sapphira that deserved death? I asked myself, what did they do wrong? I mean, at least they gave some of the money. You see, one, when they laid the money at the apostles' feet, they made out that they were giving the whole process of the soul to the Lord. They, they gave the impression they were giving the whole process to the Lord. Why do we say that? Because some 
He says, um, they sold a piece of property with his full wife's knowledge. They cut back the money. Okay? They gave the impression they were giving the whole thing, but they kept back some of the money. How do we know that? Because, um, Tosin, do you have your new Bible? Is it open? Okay, go to the verse we're looking at. Sorry, Tosin has got a new Bible that has the Greek and the Aramaic and Hebrew. Which uh, you'll be fired up about. So, (laughs) in verse 2 of your Bible, with his wise full knowledge, he kept back. Can you see kept back? Can you see a number there? Go and give us the Greek reference. I'd love to hear what the Greek says. The English version doesn't give us the whole flavor of what was happening. But anyway, with his wife full knowledge, they gave the impression they were giving everything. And the Greek word is nosfizo. And what does it mean? <laughs> to Okay, any the next one? Okay, mine says to steal by misappropriation. Exactly, embezzle. Yeah, embezzlement. To keep back, to embezzle, to steal by misappropriation. How did the apostles know they were stealing? Okay, first century, we think we have more information now. Now, if you give me your address, I can tell you exactly how much your house is worth. Why? Zupla will tell me. <laughs> Seriously, if you give me your postcode, I can tell you today how much your house is worth. So if Martin walked in here and said, oh, this is the proceeds from the sale of our house, and I'm thinking... Zupla tells me your house is <laughs> Zupla tells me your house is worth 1.5 million. And you just brought in 150,000. Okay, man, this guy needs to die. Something like that. But, but in the first century, Jerusalem, believe me, to transact a property... He just said from time to time they sold their property and we think like they just went to the shop and sold something. It's not like that. It would have taken months. Remember in Luke where Jesus invited a guy and the guy said, oh, I've just bought a property so I cannot come. Read the commentary. You've just bought a property. No, you'd have done this for months. It's not a sudden transaction. What stops you from coming to the banquet? What an excuse to give. I just bought a property. Oh, I I need to go and watch. No, they were lying. It took a long time for this transaction to take place. And I tell you, everybody in the community will know exactly the price of what. And they will know exactly how many people came to observe, to view the property, believe me. That's the community in which they lived. Who walked in there? What were they doing? Where are they from? Do we want them buying this house? It was happening in the first century, believe me. Even more so. Now, people can sell their, their next-door neighbor. Your next-door neighbor can sell their house without you knowing. It wasn't so in the first century. Who is coming to live by me? Are they Jews or Gentiles? Mm. What crockery are they going to use? What do they eat? Right. 
people investigated all this before you could sell your land. So, they had local knowledge. So, for Joseph to come and say, this is the price, Peter said, are you sure? Ananias. Ananias. Are you sure this is 500,000? Yes, absolutely. Okay. It's not. And then Safira comes and she asks the same question. And she lies. Wow, that was serious. That was serious. How did they know there was first century Zupla? And then the, ex- the question was explicitly asked. Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Wow. If we deliberately keep on sinning. Okay. That's why I like the communion. We may not share everything, but when the question is asked, don't lie. Bro, how is it going with um, your quiet time? Great. Meanwhile, you haven't read your Bible for a whole month. That's a lie. How's your prayer life going? Great. How are you giving to the Lord? Great. Seriously. I mean, you'd be offended if somebody told you, how much did you sell your house for? You'd be so offended, wouldn't you? They did it in the book of Acts. Sapphira, tell me, is this the price you and I got for the land? So, in this passage, the opposition, the attack on the church is from within. And it is directly instigated by Satan. Because he said, how come, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart? And it's not the first time Satan moves. In the case of Judas, at the table, Luke 22, he said, then Satan entered Judas, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priest and betrayed Jesus. John 13, as soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered him. Jesus told him, what we are about to do, do quickly. And Satan can use us. That's how Satan works. I've said this before. He works on three points. He works on your mind. He tells you the false thing. He did that in the Garden of Eden. Eve, did God really say this? When he was tempting Jesus, Matthew 4, Luke 4, he did the same thing. He quoted the scriptures, but falsely. And Jesus said, actually, it is written this way. Satan will confuse us with false teaching. The next thing is he will enter us to use us to, he breaks down our will to go and sin. I believe God, Satan used me a lot as a teenager to chase teenage girls. Satan entered me and used me. I believe that with all my heart. Teen boys, be pure. Don't touch the girls, okay? Don't allow Satan to use you. That's all I'll say. Speaking for the boys. But Satan enters us and uses us. And when that happened, the result of an Ananias and Sapphira is that he said, you have lied to the Holy Spirit. 
Peter said, Anna, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself? Verse 4, you have not lied just to human beings but to God. Again, the Trinity is playing here. You fly to the Holy Spirit, you fly to God. The Holy Spirit is God. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the Spirit of the Lord? That's what was happening there. Satan was trying to get into the, the church and destroy the church. Imagine if this sin had not been dealt with. There will be no purity in the church. That's why at the end, he said, great fear seized the whole church. And all who heard about these events. Even the non-Christians were afraid to come to the church. Because they realized, wow, we better get sin out of the way. Let's look at the contrast. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have what? Wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. That is exactly what Ananias and Sapphira did. They pierced themselves with many griefs. They wandered from their faith. Even if they have not died physically, spiritually, they would have been dead. They would have been dead. But they gave the impression, they gave everything. And I think for Christians, it's not just about money. We all walk in here, we've had our shower, we look our best, don't we? Wow. Secretly. How many sites did you go on the internet pornography this week? Secretly. What about masturbation? What about swearing? Thanks for the confession. What about the things you did secretly that nobody knew about? But you are here giving an appearance that all is well. You know what? We can confess our sins to each other and be free. Yeah. We are saved totally. Mm-hmm. By the way, when you got baptized, all your sins you committed, God forgiven. All the sins you commit from your day of baptism till you die is forgiven. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. Repent. Confess your sins. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So there is grace. But we need to repent. Amen? Amen. The appearance we give. Jesus observed a poor lady given. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put into very small copper coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. Amen. Wow. The rich guys gave the appearance they are giving a lot of money. And Jesus said, this poor widow, this poor widow has given more than all the others. All these people gave 
their gifts out of their world, but she, out of her poverty, putting all she had to live on. Wow. The rich gave their appearance. They were generous. But the poor widow was the most generous. The church inside is Jesus writes a letter to. He said, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits. And of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being what? Alive. But you're actually what? You are dead. The reputation, the appearance. You have the appearance of being alive, but actually you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. The appearance we give, the reputation we have doesn't matter in the sight of God. We need to be pure in heart and mind. Today ask yourself, am I a true believer or am I a false believer? I'll leave you with that thought as you go for the week. Thank you very much.